It's um, it's me and Philip again from Saint Nefdarios. Um, we kind of uh, come up with this idea, really, of how to support people in a, a very challenging time, and people seem to be supported spiritually by something called a, a spiritual father, spiritual support. Um, Mentoring spiritually can come from spiritual mothers as well. Um, it's but it's normally because confessions are heard by the clergy, and for this reason, it, the concept and the idea means normally that you would think that you would have um, a spiritual father. So me and Philip um, felt that it might be nice to be able to say, um, "Does a baptized person?" need spiritual support if they've been catechized especially as an adult because we've recently done we are doing a lot of adult baptisms do they really need a spiritual father and children as they're growing up um, unfortunately in the greek culture you will see that they probably don't adopt a spiritual father to very late in their lives, but um, what is it? What is it really all about? So yeah, it looks like you're going to be. So we're doing it as a podcast, aren't we, Philip? With yeah. Just as an honest conversation between two people, like how it would take place during a confession or or in advice between a spiritual father and a spiritual son. So what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to just literally, we will be just having conversations. I mean, we're not going to be talking to an audience in that way. Um, and it's not Philip's personal confession. But um, hopefully, as this kind of podcast progresses, we can kind of work out how it might help other people, either seek or maybe rethink their relationship with their spiritual father um, not saying that we have it perfect but um, we will just see how um, a young man like Philip really how is he getting through life you know he's growing up he's he, he will be married he will have his own family um, he's introduced to his fiance the idea of he has someone that he will go because it seems a bit. It might be a bit scary that it's like you're coming to tell someone your secrets and you're not telling the other person that is in your life. But um, hopefully, it will be made a little bit more clearer. Um, so that's kind of my thing. I don't know if you, Philip, if you wanted to just say, um, why do you need a spirit? I mean, what do you benefit? I mean, is it really something that you think? Well, I think it's good always to be connected to the church. And as an Orthodox person, you need to be surrounded by an Orthodox community um, because you see different examples of how to live, the, the right ways of living and things like that. And that kind of guidance is vital, in my opinion, if you want to live an orthodox life. That's just coming from a personal perspective as someone who was born orthodox, 
but who lives in a city in a society which is not majority orthodox. Uh, we don't have the kind of benefit of living in an orthodox society where the signs of orthodoxy are all around us in terms of if you're in Cyprus, you might hear church bells, people fasting, uh, you see people going to church. It is in the culture of orthodoxy, but in London, that is, isn't the case. So to have a spiritual father for me is tapping into kind of the orthodox community and it helps me not remain but be always tied to the orthodox church in a authentic and honest way where you can only have that with another person because I could read books, listen to podcasts, study but to be truly in the orthodox life and to have an orthodox worldview, you have to go through that with another person and someone like you, Father, would be that person as you are by your profession and your life calling tied to the church. So it's a way to bring me close to the church, I would say. It is always um, a difficult one in the fact that the message is really simple and temptation has complicated it for us. Um, because as much as we say society isn't orthodox, I would say it's very orthodox. Um, it's just that we haven't got confidence in the orthodox identity. If we were more stronger in our identity then it would be more visible because the society we're complaining about is still producing saints, known and unknown. So really, um, God hasn't really made mistakes in that way. So my, would I call it a style? I wouldn't call it a style. I would call it a reminder. I remind those who come here for confession and support that... Um, I'm trying to empower them as Christ empowered his creation, humanity, um, to be proud in a virtuous way, not in a pride way, um, or the realization of who we really are. What are we in part of this really big picture called the world? What is our purpose? And does it really, do I have to have this anxiety? Really? There's so many of us, can't someone else do it? Do I have to really do it? Do I have to be really, can I be saved because I've got good parents or good friends or maybe a good partner? Or a, um, and really our gut instincts should say no because you would never pass exams just because you had a good teacher. It would help you, maybe. You'd still have to do your own studying and stuff. You can't turn up to the exam and say, you know what, I had the best professor in my, in my things. You should, you let, you, you're going to know I know everything. I had the best professor. They're going to say, sorry. You're going to have to prove it, unfortunately. It's a two-way process. 
So the most important thing, obviously, I don't know, you, you know, you have, this is, as we said, we're trying to be honest here. Um, you do have to like the other person. Um, and this doesn't mean like them outside of Christ. It, it means you're going to have to, you will kind of, migrate or become a chameleon of your spiritual father, you will have to have the same kind of attitude, the same kind of thinking in a way. Um, and that relationship will kind of help you develop um, for both the spiritual father. The spiritual father learns from, you know, the children that come to him. It's not, it's not just one way because don't forget God speaks through everyone. So I might have something in my mind and, a child comes with this issue and then we discuss it and God enlightens us. It's not, um, we have to believe that when two or three come in, in a name, so two is obviously in the relationship of a confession, that God is there. We know this from scripture with the road to Amaos where the two disciples were going, you know, talking about everything that had happened in Jerusalem and, did there, is a resurrection going to happen? Was this the Messiah? Was it just flash in the pan? You know, they were very confused. The apostles were confused. Everything was confused. Can I ask you a tough question already? Mm -hmm. So, as a teacher, I teach at a school with people from a mostly a Pentecostal background or Baptist and they often ask me, why do you need a priest to confess your sins? And why do you need another person, probably not just a priest, but another person to be as mediator between you and God? It's a tough question, but um, because that's what the Orthodox Church says, that you do need another person. So how would you respond to that? You will see that People might have secrets, but people confess already. They confess to each other. They confess to their best friend. Um, someone says, I'm going to tell you something, but don't tell anyone else. Um, confession is in our nature, um, especially in our ego. When we've done something good, we want to confess it in a narcissistic way so that we will get the gratitude. So in other words, encourage us that we exist for a reason. You know, we're a good person, for example. People can't wait to see us because, you know, um, we're a laugh or we're generous or we will pay for everything or we will bring the best present at someone's birthday. Um, it's not actually something that is um, strange, but humanity fights structure because they think it's encaging them it's kind of stopping them there's no freedom it's about freedom but the person is totally free to say the truth or totally lie why do we have a priest because this is what christ left i'm not here to question what god has left he's left the church He's left his mother, he's left his spouse, he's left something that he has to be attentive to. God has to look after his church. It says this at marriage, you know, a husband looks after his wife the same way that God looks after the church. It's a perfect mystery. There's a mystery there, but it's a perfect relationship.
I'm not here to question God really. I'm here to do God's work. And if this is what God has said, then this is what we're going to do because there has to be confidence. Um, we're not a charismatic church because you're not drawn to me, even though it's a personal relationship. Um, you're drawn to God. Um, and we're both, like you said at the beginning, in God's environment. So we expect that we can have an orthodox identity. This is the freedom to have an orthodox identity. So your confidence might have to be visual. When Christ appeared to the disciples, he showed his hands and his sight. He didn't just appear. They were already thinking, the doors are shut. How did he get in here? And they're thinking, is he a ghost? Is he not a ghost? They got really scared. He had to reveal them. So a priest standing in front of an icon wearing a bedrachilin, this visual aid will give you the confidence that you are in a place of sanctuary where you can reveal your nakedness, your spiritual nakedness, in confidence that God already knows everything. But you're in front of that other human, you're showing that you're not drawn to the cares of this world. Your relationship with God is more important. So, is it a selling point? Is it kind of the image, the identity, the uniform? But we seem to look like the high priest that Christ, we say, is the high priest of the church. Um, and maybe this is still the, the human contact of 2,000 years ago with um, Christ himself. We were created in his image. But here I am not me, here I am representing, and I'm representing the opportunity of salvation. Um, and that's why it's not charismatic. Um, God knows everything, because we knew this when we did the studying of the liturgy, and we said this in how the liturgy itself, being part of the liturgy, is part of forgiveness. If you're taking Holy Communion and it says, the servant of God, Philip, receives the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. So what do you think you're forgiven then? You're forgiven the things that you haven't said that God knows. Um, confession really is somewhere where you come and you're really revealing your bad habits that you can't change by yourself. You might not even want to change. And you need someone that you trust to tell you I think you need to do work on this. I think you need to work on that. So, you mentioned the liturgy. Mm. Um, is there a relationship between confession and communion? Because, you know, you, in some Orthodox traditions, quite visual, you can see people confess, confessing before they have communion there and then. Uh, in some traditions it's not like that um, so what is the right way is it is it um, essential to have confession before every communion or is there a certain time is it different for each pe person the right way is always to really believe in God and always aspire to have a real relationship because he's a real living God. That's the, that's what you should really... Unfortunately, the life of the church has 
change. <clears throat> you know, we separate things, we break things up a little bit. We call it economia. Um, even the structure of the services, you know, like matins and liturgy, it's not really ecclesiastical that they happen one after the other in the hours that we do it. Um, weddings, baptisms, funerals, they weren't ever separated from the liturgy. The, the liturgy is the life of the church. It is the, the nucleus of everything, um, and nothing should be separated. So... In the life of the church, you would have had fasting because the church fasts. If you're part of the church, you're the part of the body of the church, then you will fast when the church is fasting. You're part of the same body. Um, when the church um, is working towards its holiness, that's the potential of a baptized person, it will have confession. Confession is returning to you to your baptismal state of perfection. At baptism, you are a saint. At baptism, you are holy. Um, it's the only service of the church that speaks of no sin at the end. It never doesn't say and forgive my sins. They've already, there's no sins to forgive. The same way as the woman was going to be stoned, bless her, for um, there was no accusers there. How was Christ going to judge her if there was no no judgment? There was no one there. There's nothing. She was sinless at that point in a way. Um, Christ would say in forgiveness, your sins have been forgiven and your faith has healed you really. He never imposed himself on anyone. He was there to show that if you ask and it is good for you, I will give it to you with all my heart. Um so the way that we've broken things up, unfortunately, it seems then we have created a, a, a very superstitious structure, which is not a spiritual life. We should be living spiritually and not fragmenting it and choosing, because unfortunately, like you said, um, um, the way maybe the secular world is, we play orthodox when we're in this building and outside of the building, suddenly we forget we're orthodox for some reason and we think that we're something else, maybe an instrument of temptation, an instrument of society. Um, so Holy Communion is what fills our hearts that we empty so that we can go out and feed the world um, with this joy, with this encouragement, um, with maybe the message. Um, it is the duty and the right of the baptized person um, who, has, who is part of the service and sins are forgiven. And the confession, it says... Um, love one another so that with one mind we may confess. The liturgy tells us to do this, um, to have forgiveness amongst ourselves already. Um, it says for us in, you know, to have no cares of this life. We are about to receive the King of all, invisibly escorted by the angelic host. Um, heaven will be... An, a liturgy that has no beginning and no end. It will, be a, it will be a beautiful thing that we just don't understand and we don't have maybe have not been written and no one has read it. But you will see that actually um, it is life itself, life with meaning, 
um, so it wouldn't be separated, it would just be normal, but unfortunately because we separate it, so yes, my understanding is that it will create a lot of arrogance without offending other traditions that I've chosen today to have Holy Communion or that week, so I am rushing and putting pressure on the people that I can confess to to be able to then have Holy Communion because I'm going to fast and confess. Um, True confession would be going up to Holy Communion feeling unworthy rather than thinking you're worthy. I mean, that's very dangerous. So if that's actually, personally, that's a, um, a big thing for me uh, because obviously as life goes on, you enter in and out of different ways of feeling, especially before liturgy. And in some cases, that thought does enter the mind where you think, well, I, I'm thinking that maybe I shouldn't have communion. Maybe, I, maybe it's not right this week or you're, you rushed your preparation, you rushed this. Is it, is it correct? And that thought is you know, something that does occur to me as an Orthodox person, so... The challenge is, is what God wants from us and what we think. He's not a lawyer, but obviously there is certain things that you would say would be respectful. Um, if you're probably in a relationship, you would probably think that it would be disrespectful to come in contact with someone physically, erotically, for example, and then you're going to go to church. But God won't judge us for actually doing that and going to church. So there's like the two sides of the same coin. It's really weird. It's kind of like, so what's right and wrong then? What's right? Well, God says you have to have discernment. You know, you, what we would say in Greek, you have to have a bit of common sense, really. Um, so the love that we would have for coming to the church and the liturgy will be an overwhelming love that is above erotica, for example. And the two people going to church or the family going to church, their preparation will be one that it would be whatever, you know, will be that we would, we would say would be respectful. Some think respectful is don't eat in the morning if you're going to go to church, um, even if they're not going to have Holy Communion, just in case that, you know, they might be moved to have Holy Communion. Um, or to bring that as a practice into someone's life. But um, I'm sure that if someone came with a contrite heart that just had a full English breakfast and someone that had no breakfast at all but was full of hatred and didn't like a thing and total judgment for everyone around them and going up to two, this would totally, from my understanding, would be the Pharisee and the tax collector. We're not meant to ask anyone what they've done or they haven't done. It's a personal, really, honestly, it's a real personal relationship. God is here for everyone, and especially the sinners. It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. And this is what confuses us, because obviously uh, my attitude might seem really relaxed, but I'm not actually telling people to have a full English breakfast. They just use it as an excuse. Let me hear something. Oh, that's what he said. Let's go and have breakfast and see what happens. But that, that means they're so far away from the whole idea of anything. That's what the importance of a spiritual father is, to clarify the 
these thoughts that you may hear, things like that. Because I think one thing about orthodoxy is it's very personal. Um, whereas in, in other religions, it's here are the rules. You follow them, that's the right thing to do. You don't follow them, it's the wrong thing to do. Whereas in orthodoxy, it understands the complexity of life and the truth about what humanity is. And I think that's why a spiritual father is so vital because each person is different and each person has their own needs and their own, you know, way of preparing and things like that and their own prayer life. And You will see that God only had one rule. He just had one rule. Imagine that. Literally one rule. Adam was in paradise. He just had one rule. Don't eat of this tree. Because your curiosity won't be controlled. You've got curiosity. And I'm going to manifest it in, in a woman. So that you can have a dialogue. So that you will have a, a relationship. So that you can have discernment. You can have discussion. Um, and you will have humility. And he just told him, don't eat of this fruit. That's only one rule. And they couldn't keep it because of that disobedience. We've entered into an unruly life now in a way where we're totally free with temptation together in that way. Um, so God came back and he kind of gave us another rule. Um, and it was the same as the first one, really, but in different conditions. Um, the first one... The same rule in the first place. In heaven, it was automatic. Love me with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It was an automatic relationship. They were best friends. It was automatic. You didn't even have to think about it. Now we have to work for it. That's the difference now. Same rule, but it's just we have to work for it now. Um, it's hard to stay focused, like you said, with all the things that are happening around us. Even with each other, which I'm sp I suppose we probably will come to the top, we'll come to that later on, I suppose. In, but the things that are happening around us now with the pandemic and vaccines and non-vaccinated and vaccinated, the complexity of humanity's identity and the genders and the, you know how, what we're thinking and what we're not thinking, what's correct and what's not correct. Um, and what really, how do you tackle these topics is because it's really it's all about totally believing um, in something that gives us more than we could ever wish for. It's just unbelievable. Um, and this will be the peace to be able to live this kind of diverse life um, without really putting a lot of uh, focus on the wrong thing. I think we are really, devil's really clever, separates us, gets us arguing with us, with each other for what? Really, what's the outcome? Honestly, what would the outcome be? What's the benefit? I mean, our whole benefit is to return to heaven because life is eternal and I don't want to eternally be in hell. This is the, my argument should be like this. And, it sh and, I, and I'm sure that I wouldn't really have to um, battle that much. Um, it's like 
it's like we want to justify our existence instead of living our purpose you know what is our existence what is the purpose of our existence um, and these I know these are heavy subjects and um, but it's all been written down everything that we discuss even as you know when you know when you come to confession we discuss things from scripture we don't make things up I know that there's a lot of fathers that would go into that scripture so we can have a really nice explanation it can be diversified for us it can be enriched for us but the apostles didn't have the saying God just said let me speak through you and sometimes we do have to keep it a little bit more so hopefully the spiritual father reminds you sometimes hits you around the head with an orthodox frying pan really calls you stupid when you're stupid, encourages you when you need to be encouraged. But it's when we start sharing our ideas and we start telling you know, each other, what's your spiritual father like? My one's from here, my one's this one. Oh, your one's this, my one's really this, my one's that. And even if people have the same, they will say, what did he say to you about that thing? And he said this, because oh, he never said that to me. When we're talking about why do we confess to a priest, and we might be judged by other traditions. Look how much we've confused each other by confessing to the wrong people. We confess to each other out of the safety of the sanctuary um, of the, the church itself. It's like you're going to your best, your perfect mother, which is the church, telling her something that she would never tell anyone. But we would tell everyone everything else that becomes scandalous, that becomes problematic, that becomes even poisonous. And we don't criticize that. But we criticize the things that are good for us. Thank you, Father.